0: Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about Spin the Dawn by Elizabeth Lim. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage friends and let's talk books.
1: Welcome, y'all. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet. I'm Amanda Thrasher. And I'm Danielle Hall, an
0: 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. And our guest today is author and filmmaker Mora Milan. Hi, Mora. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I got to meet you in person at Y'all West. You were handing yes. out teasers for your next book, which is called Eclipse the Skies. We talked a little bit about your first book, *Ignite the Stars*, when you joined us in our 2018 year-end roundup. But for those people who didn't listen to the 2018 year-end roundup or who haven't read *Ignite the Stars* yet, could you like give us a new rundown?
2: Okay, so *Ignite the Stars* is set in the far, far future, and the most notorious criminal in the galaxies is a person named Ia Coca. The thing is, everyone thinks that IA Coca is this tall, muscular man. And when they actually do capture her, they realize that she is a 17-year-old girl. And the government that captures her, they figure out, hey, instead of putting her in jail and executing her, let's put her into an academy and have her work for us. So Aya ends up having to go to a Star Force Academy and has to train with all of the people that she hates. (laughs) So um, it's kind of like this fish-out-of-water type deal. Um, She has to make friends with all the people that she's kind of fought against. And not the actual people, but like the sons and the daughters of the people she's fought against for so long. And she realizes that they have some common ground. So towards the end, it's more about finding friends in very
0: unexpected places. And the sequel to Ignite the Stars is called Eclipse the Skies. I like what you're doing there. Wondering mm-hmm. what the third book's going to be called. Is there going to be a third book?
2: No, actually, this is the end. It's a oh, duology. I so love a duology. I love a duology, exactly. too.
0: It was very hard to
2: say goodbye to all of these characters and to let go. I was basically crying by the end of writing oh. it.
0: Well yeah, the um, characters like become your life for, you know, three to five I years know. or however long.
2: They're my best friends for a while. <laughs> it was really sad to say goodbye.
0: So I know it's hard to talk about a sequel without spoiling the first book, but like do it anyway.
2: <laughs> okay, so Eclipse the Skies basically takes place a month after Ignite ends. War is on the brink, and Eclipse is basically about these kids who have to figure out if they want to fight this war, why they need to fight it, are they the reasons that they need to stand behind? And and sometimes, for some of these characters, they don't want to be doing it because there's a lot at stake, and not just like the fall of the government and the fall of their homes, like the fall of the planets that they've grew up in. It's also like they might die, so having to give up their own future for the future of everyone else is such a big question that they have to deal
0: with. I am really looking forward to reading it. And that also like reminds me of Battlestar Galactica which starts out like one way with everybody on the same team and then
1: stuff happens, splinter factions. Ooh.
0: Oh yeah. 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 It's very
2: BSG for sure. I mean, Starbuck and Aya are basically, they're like the same person in a way. (laughs) (laughs) They're both like really skilled at flying their jets, just really like stubborn, um, strong women. And yeah, it's it's such a great comparison to BSG for sure.
0: Yeah. I love Battlestar. So that definitely makes a lot of sense to me. One of the discussions that we have a lot that I want to talk to you about because you're a filmmaker. We always have the discussion like the right medium for the right story. How do you decide what the right medium for your stories is going to be?
2: This is a really interesting case. So with Ignite the Stars, I actually wrote this as a pilot first. (laughs) A pilot about pilots. A pilot about pilots. So I had written it as the first episode of a potential TV show. But it ended up being way bigger than what I could fit into a first episode of a TV show. So I decided to expand it into a YA book. And I'm a huge fan of YA. I've always read it. Um, and I'm way past the age of that demographic. But I still love reading YA. So I decided to kind of write that in that genre um, just because I appreciated it so much. And it was different. Because when you write a script, it's it's mostly just dialogue and not a lot of what's happening internally. So when I had to write this as a book, it was kind of bringing in a new gear. Um, I had to start talking about like what these people were thinking, like basically having all these check-ins every chapter, every scene about like, what they're thinking internally and what their conflicts were, which made a lot of sense because a lot of this book is about like enemies, enemies becoming friends. So you want to really know why these people think the way they do about certain people, especially with I and Bryn, where they aren't exactly on the same page in the beginning, but they end up kind of finding common ground towards the end. And I think it was really important to show like their train of thought each time.
0: Awesome. I want to talk about Spin the Dawn now, which is why we're here. I guess it is. And I'm really excited that we had this conversation about film and books and things like that, because I would love to see Spin the Dawn made into like a short run series for Netflix or something. Oh, definitely. It
2: makes so much sense because it's so visual and you want to see how everything looks.
1: (laughs) Yes, because there are dresses. (laughs) Exactly. So here we go. Maya Tamarin wants to be the best tailor in the land, but can't even officially apprentice as a girl. Her brothers have gone off to fight in a bloody civil war, and she's all that holds the family business together. When her aging father gets called to the Emperor's court to be the Imperial tailor, Maya slips away in his stead, posing as one of her brothers. When she arrives, she discovers that there are several tailors vying for the job, and she must best them in a series of challenges. Soon, Maya discovers that there's more at stake than a pretty dress for the new empress, and much more to sacrifice if her own secret is exposed. Dun-dun-dun. Challenges, you say? Yes! (laughs) That sounds somewhat familiar. Okay,
0: (laughs) so this is not a spoiler. This is right in the blurb, but this book was billed to us as Project Runway meets Mulan. Is that relevant to your interests, Danielle? Oh my god. It's relevant to all my interests. Y'all, Mulan is my favorite Disney movie, and I love the original stories. And anytime something says that it's like based on the Mulan mythology, like I am there. I love it. And Project Runway is like the other half of stuff I'm obsessed with.
1: Because we are such high fashionistas here in the Thrasher Hall household. (laughs) Our wardrobes are like more of the unconventional materials challenges.
0: (laughs) How about you, Maura? What were your expectations? How did you like this book? I
2: loved it. I have to admit the Project Runway aspect of it really (laughs) drew me in. And I I love seeing like all the dresses being made and the different challenges that Maya had to deal with. Amanda, what did you think about it?
1: So I thought there was a lot that was really great about it. I think especially in the beginning when it is the Project Runway challenge part is fantastic. Not so much the challenges part, which are like fun because I'm a fan of Project Runway. So, you know, you get excited when you see references to challenges you know and love. Which we'll Um, talk about more in the spoiler section. But more because I felt like this book better than any book I've read in a long time made me really unsure of who i was supposed to trust and i really liked that feeling of uncertainty going into this place with all this political intrigue that maya felt i felt like i wasn't sure i feel like normally it telegraphs pretty hard like who the good guys are mm-hmm. and yeah i just wasn't sure to start with so i thought that was really strong
2: yeah because she's basically a fish out of water in the beginning um she had to leave her home and is kind of brought into this palace life and there's just a slew of all new characters and i totally agree with you i had no idea who to trust
0: yeah so before she gets the palace we do get her family um her brothers have been sent off to war there are three of them and then she has her aging father and you know she's the only girl and you just get such a good sense of her family even though it's such a brief time. And one of the things that I loved about the beginning of this book is that like in Mulan, she sneaks off at night and her dad like jolts awake and he's like, something's wrong. And he goes into her room and like, she's left her comb and they like go out in the rain and they holler after her. And it's very, very sad. Right. In this book, Her dad catches her and he supports her and he loves her and he gives her his blessing. And she goes to the palace and she writes letters to her family. And I just felt so much closure from that that I didn't feel in Mulan. Like it was definitely a missing, cuddly, snuggly, warm piece of the puzzle.
2: Yeah, it was really nice to see how supportive the family was. And I grew up in a family where everyone is supportive, but not outwardly. They're like, they they want things to be, you know, they want you to succeed, but it's like kind of stern. And it was kind of cool to see that stereotype of like really stern Asian families kind of be broken in this book, because a lot of the times you don't really see that. Um, there's always kind of like the really like tiger mom type stereotype. And I think that it's really good to see someone like a father figure who is kind of there for the daughter and really supportive
0: of her dreams and is
2: there kind of to like let her grow.
0: So I thought Project Runway was gonna be the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I think that my biggest... I don't want to say complaint because I really did like the book, but I just felt a little caught flat footed when the book changed so drastically because I thought it was so effective with like the court intrigue and the challenges and the blah, blah, blah. And then it changes to something that is still well done and still a good book. It's just a very different book. So basically,
0: Amanda is talking about the transition from the court intrigue book to the sweeping epic. And it's a great sweeping epic. I really enjoyed it. But it was like two different books. I, I
2: think- mean, we have to also say that the epic quests include making clothes still. Like there's still a lot yeah, of yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, that's design a good point. and stuff that happens in it. And it just is like taking the whole competition out of it was a really big change for sure. It's almost like she's challenging herself in a way <gasps> instead of it.
1: So being- good. The Project <laughs> Runway was inside us all along. Exactly. <laughs>
2: So she's kind of having to, like, test her limits of her magic and her skill. And I think that she couldn't really do that as much within the castle. So it was an interesting transition.
0: We'll break yeah. all of this down uh, further in our spoiler section. And just to point out that, Mara, like you did say, there's magic. There's magic in this book. It's very important. stuff. Happens. What is
1: a world without magic? It's this one, so clearly it's not winning. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, friends, we'll take
0: our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like latte, then we'll return to our discussion of Spin the Dawn and dig a little deeper. Hey friends, are you looking for an easy way to support this podcast? Order our book choices through the affiliate link in our show notes. You'll be supporting our authors and making sure we get a small kickback to keep our show going. Next up, we'll be discussing The Downstairs Girl by Stacey Lee. If you'd like to help us keep bringing you great content, order through the link in our show notes. Happy reading!
1: Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Danielle, what's your brew of choice this week? Definitely seeing Leela at the conference. Yeah. Uh, But that's
0: not what I'm going to talk about. So our town is having a book club based on this book, Lewis and Clark Through Indian Eyes, edited by Alvin M. Josephy Jr. We live in Astoria, and the Lewis and Clark mythology is strong here. And these 10 essays in this book really question and push back against the dominant narrative of the Lewis and Clark expedition through the West. Each one is written by an indigenous author, and the collection is just really powerful. And not only will it get you to reconsider the Lewis and Clark narrative, it will give you tools to think critically about, like, all dominant narratives and how history is constructed and told. Great pick. How about you, Maura? What's your brew of choice? So my pick is
2: this new anime called Carol and Tuesday. I feel like people kind of know that I'm a huge anime fan, and actually Ignite was inspired from a lot of great anime out there, like Cowboy Bebop, Space Andy, and those were all made by the same director named Shinichiro Watanabe. And he has a new anime out called Carol and Tuesday, which is all about these two girls who live on Mars, and they kind of want to make it in a girl group. (laughs) It's really super cute. It's all about female friendship, and Cyndi Lauper, and connecting through music. (laughs) (laughs) Love
1: it. All the essentials.
2: It's such a fun, cheerful anime, and the colors in it are so bright. The illustrations are amazing. He also does a lot of musical elements to a lot of his work, so it's really cool to see kind of like the 80s synth waves being threaded into uh, Carol and Tuesday. I think it's going to be out on Netflix kind of soon. So
1: Sweet. Awesome. How about you, Amanda? What's your brew of choice? Well, I am going to talk about Leela because I love her more than you do, apparently. <laughs> uh, no, so we did go to Austin for this conference, and Leela was there, and it was fantastic. And one of the things that we got to do while we were there was we took a boat tour to see the bats under Congress Bridge in Austin. It's the largest colony of urban bats in the world. It's like 2 million bats, and they fly out every night just after sunset, and it's just this incredible rush of all of these six inch bats going out to eat all the bugs in Texas. And I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It was beautiful to see Austin from the river. And of course, I just love bats. So that was a big win for me.
2: I've seen those bats. They're (laughs) so
1: great, right? It's amazing.
2: It's like something that everyone has to see at some point in their life.
0: We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we'll return to our discussion on Spin the Dawn. The rest of the show will contain spoilers. So if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be back.
1: Welcome back, y'all, to the YA Cafe. We're continuing our discussion on Spin the Dawn by Elizabeth Lim. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers! All right. So, full-on nerding out about
0: Project Runway. I (laughs) loved that they had an unconventional materials challenge. I felt so seen, like... How could you even call it Project Runway without an Unconventional Materials Challenge?
1: I personally loved how they had the one guy who didn't use the materials of the Unconventional Materials Challenge and then immediately got sent home. That's the rules, man. I also loved the little twist. Yep, they had a couple little twists. I love that she
2: got to wear the clothes herself. Yes. Like you don't really see the designers in Project Runway wearing their own clothes. Maybe there have been a couple challenges where it's like design something for you, but I love that she was able to wear the dress at the end and just bring out the power and beauty of everything. Like she puts so much of herself into each one of these dresses, whether it was like the memories from her childhood and like the color blue which was very much so linked to one of her brothers. I thought that was really cool just to have this like personal angle to everything that she does because it makes sense. Like, as an artist, that's what you're going to do.
0: Yeah. I really loved the description of the dresses throughout this novel. And that's one of the reasons why I would love to see it as a TV show because I would love to see. These dresses. And it was like the right amount of description for me. Sometimes I get really
1: lost in description of clothing, but like this one was really great. I'm going to push back against you on wanting to see the dresses. One of the things I really like about books about art, not always, but sometimes, is that like someone can describe a dress as like the most beautiful dress in the world, and you're like, Cool. I'm excited for that dress. But like if you see a dress on a movie and everybody's going, this is the most beautiful dress in the world. And you're thinking that dress is hideous. Like (laughs) it really takes you out of the story of the fiction. So like if somebody talks about how this is the greatest food they've ever tasted or the best symphony they've ever heard or whatever, you just take them at their word in a book. But in a movie, you can look at it and say, no, I've seen better.
2: I think we could go really meta with this. And have Project Runway do a challenge based on this book. Oh, I think yes. that
1: would be <gasps> that would the be best. so
2: great. Because <laughs> you get to see everyone have their little twist on like what they think like this shattered glass slipper is or the blood of stars dress is.
1: Oh, yeah. All right. A lot happens. We got to move on, people. There's too much <laughs> in this book. Okay. So there's a guy. Let's talk about the guy. Ugh. I mean, I'm sorry. The was guy. that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> Did you not like this guy? I don't know what gave it away. So – Eden is the guy. However, comma, Eden is not a guy. Eden is a 500 year old man dating a 17 year old girl. Okay, he's a shapeshifter. He also, I'm assuming
2: he looks like he's 17. Oh, yeah. No. Like all vampires.
1: It's very like Edward Cullen. Yeah. Gross. I'm going to do a direct John Green quote here. And he said Remember, age differences aren't gross because you look old, age differences are gross because you are old. There's too much of a power differential between them already, even without that huge age difference. Right. thought it was super gross. we was not here for it.
0: Eden is the court enchanter. And basically, he has the same stalkery vibe at the beginning as Edward. Like, oh, he's been watching her. And like one of the questions that I had, like a sincere question, is like, why did he have to be 500 years old? Like, Literally why? So the idea is that he has like a thousand years of servitude or whatever, and he's right in the middle of them. But like, I think that the story would have been just as interesting if he had been like three years into his servitude and not 500 years old, and he still would have had the same powers, it would have been less creepy, and he still could have,
1: like, had regrets for ever having entered
0: his servitude in the first place.
1: And for my part, I would much rather have an unusually knowledgeable 22-year-old love interest than, like, a more logically knowledgeable 500-year-old love interest.
2: Uh, I'm sure the author is probably going to talk about this a lot in her second book, but I feel like his age also has to tie into the history of it all because he's served with other kings in the past, kings Mm -hmm. that emperors who have been a part of this war like he served with the current emperor's father and his oath got transferred to emperor Kanajin, who is the current emperor right now so i feel like they're probably gonna talk more about the history and that would be good leeway into it all yeah but it is a little weird that he's 500 and she's 17 17 I mean, I mean, I have to say, I didn't have a problem with like Angel and Buffy until I got to be in my mid thirties, and I was like, wait. That's another weird. great
1: comparison, <laughs> but that's but that's the whole point. Is that like teenagers get their angels and their buffies and their Edwards and their Bellas and Maya. and their Edens and Mayas because it's given to them by adults who should know better. Very true. That's a really good point. Gosh, is this true of Doctor Who too? Yes. Ah. (laughs) (sighs) So we came down hard on that. We did like this book a lot. That particular trope, I really just want to see it die in a fire. Okay, we got to move on.
2: What do you guys think about this? This is like a question I actually um, wrote down. There's like the whole internal conflict of magic, because we talked about magic before, but she is given these magic scissors. And there's this whole thing of like, should she rely on her own skill or should she also rely on magic in order to make a dress that's far better than something she could do on her own Mm -hmm. what did you guys think about that also what would you choose would you use the magic scissors or not
0: that's really great because i'm having trouble thinking of like other literary comparisons but i've definitely seen it before where it's like the magic is a part of you it's inside of you but as soon as you decide not to use it you're like making a judgment on whether the magic is good or bad or how closely aligned you want yourself to be with the magic. Ah, that's so good. Um, would I use the magic scissors? I guess I would not use magic scissors because I would be scared that they would like take me over.
2: And they do talk about magic being like a corrupting force in this book. Isn't that why Eden had to take an oath? Because otherwise his magic would be like
1: unbounded. Yeah. Yeah. So it could happen. I would use the poop out of those scissors. (laughs) This is my shocked face. Because, okay, she's going into this competition. She's already dirt poor compared to the other competitors who are wealthy, who have had apprenticeships with these great tailors and she can't be a part of it just because she's a woman. And then she gets one little piece of affirmative action. Like, heck yeah, she should use those scissors. (laughs) Like she's fighting against thousands of years of injustice. You snip away. That's my opinion. What did you think? Would you use the scissors? You know, I get her internal dilemma. Um, Like
2: wanting to be acknowledged for a skill that you spent like all of your Childhood and early teenage, just trying to perfect. Like that type of acknowledgement is important. And it almost seems like a cheat to use the scissors in a way, but because someone else is using magic, I feel like it was a right choice for her to go ahead and use it. I wouldn't use it from the get go, I don't think. I would use it towards the end and be like, check it out. Look what I could do.
0: (laughs) All right. So, we also wanted to talk about our Heidi Klum, I guess. more like Heidi Gloom. <laughs> so there was a lot packed into what I just said. So just to take a step back, Lady Sarnai is the will-be empress. She comes from the other side of the Civil War, the losing side of the Civil War. And so she is going to marry the emperor, maybe someday, um, to solidify the peace between the two sides. And she has a story to tell. We barely uncovered it in this novel, but she definitely felt like a force to be reckoned with.
2: Did you guys want to trust her in the beginning? Because I really wanted to trust her. I I thought she was going to be good in a way, but I think she's neither good nor bad.
0: Right. She's just angry. She's angry. I wanted to trust her. So it really put me in the mindset of Sabrin from Priory of the Orange Tree mm-hmm. um, in that like she is very closed off but like with good reason and she's like angry with good reason and I wanted to like peel away at her and I think that if we had stayed at court, that's like the story that would have been told. Like, I agree. Yeah, I think there there would have
2: been more scenes between her and Maya.
0: Yeah. So if Elizabeth Lim decides to do like – a point five of this series, or like a one point five. I think Lady Sarnai is like a great person to focus on.
1: Yeah, I think she's very interesting. I'd be very down for that.
2: I think so, and to have more scenes with her and and Lord Zena, the yeah. person that she's really in love with.
0: Yeah, I really liked her a lot. I liked her reluctance to like wear these things that the imperial court wanted her to wear. You know, she wanted to dress like her homeland and like. She was so particular, uh, which Heidi Klum is particular. Oh, yeah. Whenever it's like a Heidi challenge, she's like a very critical voice. All right, next, the demon stuff.
2: Yes. (laughs) So we are flashing forward towards, I guess, the end of part two, beginning of part three. And what happens is for the last challenge... Maya has to venture into Lake Paduan and gather the blood of stars. But on the way there, she encounters this demon that kind of makes these illusions that kind of tempt her in. She starts to see like images of her family. And of course, <laughs> it's like she wants to stay because she loves her family and she hasn't seen them in so long and half of them are dead. So
0: <laughs> oh, this took uh, me so many places. The whole, exactly. the whole ghost scene and, i know i loved it and then you know like eden had said one thing which was like you know don't let anything touch you and then she did and then she was marked and it was the final showdown and stuff and such and the demon shows up and basically eden's like let her go and you know take my life my soul for hers don't take the girl <laughs> <laughs> it hurts so bad see I was gonna go with like ones on this island so anyway blah 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 Eden's like throws down don't take the girl and demon's like okay I won't take the girl and then Maya's like you don't get to make any choices for me I'm going and she does
1: yep like I didn't love it but like I it's hard to say if I didn't love it or not until we see book two and how it actually plays out Right, Like, I showed the end of it, and I was kind of like, okay, I guess that's the thing that's going to be book two. Like, it just Uh felt like the book two lead-in. I didn't really have strong opinions on it.
2: I thought it was a great reveal. Like, I love that she ends up becoming a demon as, I guess it would be, like, penalty for making the Blood of Stars dress, right? So she made these magical dresses, and these magical dresses have the power to unleash a dangerous magic onto the world. And these dresses are also something that's very much tied to the goddess Amana because they represent her children. And anyone who's able to make these dresses are able to kind of tread closer to the heavens than most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was really neat that Amana was just like, no one can have this power. And so I need to punish you for doing this. And this will kind of be your punishment. You have to, I think in the second book, I think this is what's going to happen. She's going to have to like live her life as a demon. And they kind of alluded to that earlier with Barger when Eden said that there are different demons in the world. And this could be like one way that a demon is made. And I like that. You see kind of the severance between her and her family, which is what made her so human. It was Mm -hmm. what filled her heart, you know, and having to take that away in the second book is going to be a really intense journey for her also to see her change because you could start to see her change in that last chapter Mm -hmm. with the drums. And she had
0: to memory charm her dad and brother and... I'm so sad. It was sad. And I, I think you're absolutely right that, like, it comes as such a strong and clear consequence to the power that she was able to wield. So I liked it in that sense. Fine ending for me.
1: We kind of skipped over the three dresses to talk about the demon or whatever, but the three dresses were so great. Like, the descriptions of her making them and then, like, how people reacted to the dresses and to her in the Blood of Stars dress was just... So good. I loved every part of that. I thought it was a fantastically satisfying ending to like this fetch quest that we had just been on.
0: So all in all, I think that this is a whole and complete book, even though it's a first book. Concur. I think it would make an excellent four-part limited run Netflix series. Netflix, if you have any questions on how to make this, like get in touch with me. I have some ideas. I think that this will be a fantastic addition to any and every classroom library it's lots of fun great book great book i loved it that's our show for today friends thank you so much for joining us Mora. thank you it was so great being here you can find Mora on instagram and twitter and at mauramilan.com you can find us at ya cafe podcast we'd love to hear from you and if you're enjoying the show please consider leaving us a review on itunes happy reading